0: Uh, Brent and I are just super excited to see you all and uh, to be here again. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Brent and I have talked quite a bit about uh, lessons that that we wanted to do and we've tried to figure out what would would be great, what would be fantastic and uh, so we just figured what was fantastic to us would probably be fantastic to you. So uh, <clears throat> we're, ho- we're crossing our fingers on that one so <laughs> That'd be good so but we, we're just super excited to see you all uh, uh, I'm, I'm shocked to get to see <laughs> these guys over here good old, good old George and Sandra and Sandra and whatever the, the Andra is there and uh, see, I, I grew up with a girl named Sandra and so every time ta- I have a hard time with the Sandra thing sometime, but anyway, and this, this young young couple over here, Chris and that great woman he grabbed and all that, so anyway, what a pleasure to see, see them and see all of you, uh, I'm just super excited about that, so my, my plan is this week to talk, generally do some lessons that would talk about God's purposes and God's hope that he has given to us. I, I would like us at the end of the week, from my part, and I know Brent is, is going to compliment this, or I think our lesson is going to compliment one another real well, but by the end of the week, that you will have a stronger hope in God, a stronger hope in your eternity, a stronger recognition of what God's purposes are in your life. Uh Brent and I have studied these kinds of things for the past number of years and and shared with each other our studies, and uh, it has just boosted us like crazy, and, and so this is what we'd like uh, similar, these, these kinds of themes, we'd like to share with you uh, this week. So in, in my uh, lesson, I, I want to start with the first words of the book of Acts, and I would like to be able to expose these to you, maybe in a way that you hadn't given a lot of thought of, and how this is going to uh, apply to us today. Ah, It turns out kind of pretty on your projector there. I'm happy. Uh, So this is the direction that, that we want to go. You know, I don't know about you, but when we open our Bibles, we open documents that, especially as far as the New Testament is concerned, are 2,000 years old. And it is difficult, I believe, for us to read these New Testament documents and read about what God is doing and be able to transfer that today to our lives and think in terms of what God is doing now. I think that's difficult, especially because we look at passages where three thousand were baptized in one day, and that's just unimaginable to us. We we, we go, well, no, 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 that's not going to happen, and and we look at the miracles and we say, well, that's not going to happen. That that was for that day, and and God was had a purpose for it at that time, and and so that's not going to happen today, and. And we get into that mode where pretty soon we're reading these documents as, a, as if they are just historical information. And that that information is something that is a foundation for our belief, but not necessarily that it is a story about us and a story about what God is doing in us and intended for us. So that's where I want to start with us, to take a look from a different angle and a different point of view of what God is really doing. And here we have this first verse of Acts chapter 1, and it's a unique verse as this indicates that, of course, this is uh, 2nd Luke, if you will. (laughs) And it had been kind of cool if it had just been labeled 1st and 2nd Luke. Or even, first and second, Theophilus, because that is who Luke is writing to. And if we had done that, we might have had a little better feel for actually what is going on there. Now, when you read verse, verse 1 of Acts 1, you see these words in the first book, or other versions, the first account... O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So you see this now as labeled as Luke's second account, writing to this man named Theophilus. Now ask yourself this question. Have you ever studied Acts? Well, if I stopped right there, you'd say, well, yeah, lots of times. Okay, no, no, no. Have you ever studied Acts from the point of view of it being a letter to a Theophilus? Have you ever listened to it as if you were Theophilus and tried to figure out what the message was? Now, if you're like me, that was the furthest thing from your mind. That, I mean, it was like... You, know, you see these overviews of the Bible, and you go, well, Gospels, history, letters, you know, you see it that way, right? And then you get to Revelation, prophecy, and we label it that way, and that makes it really encyclopedic and distant to us. But instead, this is a letter to Theophilus. Now, what if I read Acts like I was reading First Timothy? Figuring out what's going on with Timothy to cause Paul write that letter. Figuring out Second Timothy by what's going on with Timothy because of how he wrote the letter. What if I read Acts the way I read Colossians, figuring out what's going on with the Colossa church in order to figure out what this letter is about? What if I heard it that way? Would it change how I'm listening to it? Well, absolutely. I'm not reading it then in the same way as if it's some kind of history book. I'm trying to discover the personal aspect of the message and trying to then, once I see that, being able to transfer that to how that message is going to apply and fit into my life. Because when the Lord wrote these letters, His intention was that it would make an initial application, obviously, to the reader, the initial reader, but that it would then have a continued application from that time on to every Christian from then on. And and how silly for us not to always recognize that. Even the book of Genesis is a book written as a letter, as an, an informational letter and purpose to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and we don't read it that way. We don't think of it that way. So let's, let's do that. Uh, first, let's, let's examine a little bit about this fellow Theophilus. And when we go over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 1, you, you and I get a little bit better idea of Theophilus, though not terribly complete, but certainly a couple of good ideas that will help us with the letter. So I would suggest that there's a couple of things that we're learning about Theophilus just from this account. First off, Theophilus is an individual who is called most excellent. Well, why? Interestingly enough, Felix is also referred to in Luke's second letter, the book of Acts. He is also called most excellent Felix when Paul addresses him. So I think it is reasonable to consider that Theophilus then is some kind of Roman official for Luke to have addressed him with this title, Most Excellent Theophilus. And certainly the content of Luke and Acts gives us an idea that he is writing to an individual who would be in that category and therefore reflect some of those concerns that a Roman and especially a Roman official would have. Secondly, you see from this particular statement that Luke is concerned that Theophilus has been taught things but doesn't have a certainty of them. Kind of like he's gotten a lot of hearsay, but no one has presented to him an eyewitness foundational historical record that is based in fact so he can sink his teeth in it and have absolute faith based on knowledge not as people would say today a blind faith you just got to have faith somebody's no 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 you don't just got to have faith you got to have knowledge and evidence to have faith and it isn't faith otherwise and so theophilus needs those things all right, so what are some of the questions that we could deduce from reading Luke and Acts that Theophilus would have? And I would suggest a few. First, Theophilus would be saying, is this, some, is this a human-generated movement? I remember in the book of Acts, I remember member Gamaliel said, well, you know, there's been a lot of these kinds of things that have risen up, and uh, if it's of man, it'll just go away. And so certainly... Uh, this Roman official would be concerned about this. Is just something that's a fly-by-night thing. We see this in the empire all the time. And secondly, can a Gentile fit into a Jewish religion? A- am-, am I going to fit into this? Am, am I? Am I? Can-, can I be part of this? This is totally Jewish, run by a Jew, came out of Judaism. How would that be? And thirdly, is this movement? Well, is this movement really disrupting the peace of the Roman Empire? I mean, it's like everywhere Christianity goes, what happens? Oh. There's all these riots. There's all these things. There's all these problems. So is Christianity causing this? And that is going to be a big question that Luke wants to answer. And then how can we follow a crucified man? I mean, after all, a crucified man in the Roman Empire is lower than dirt. Are we really going to follow this? Did he really raise from the dead? We need evidence for that. I can't believe without evidence. Obviously, some of these questions are the same questions we would have. We would need to be asking that. And what does it mean to be really a disciple of Jesus? What does that look like? What what does it mean to follow a man like Jesus? How would that play out in our lives? And what does it mean to become a disciple? So, Some of the main things that Luke certainly would want to answer that Theophilus would have these questions. And there's other things that we could talk about from the book of Luke or the first letter, and, and yet we want to concentrate more on this, this second letter. Now, the next thing I would like you to see is these words, and he, these words that you see in the beginning of the book of, Luke, uh, book of Acts, and I want you to think of how I'm going to hear the letter. Hear the letter the way Luke heard the letter. What, I mean, Theophilus heard the letter. What if you were Theophilus? I had a study with a, with a guy a couple of years ago. We'd meet at Starbucks every week. And I started stressing to him with everything we read, especially when we'd read about salvation and how people became disciples. Read it as if you're Theophilus. And if you're Theophilus, what would you be hearing on how to become a Christian. What would you be hearing? Well, it was just just so obvious and he quit studying with me. So it was really cool. (laughs) Okay, he heard it and he didn't like it. But boy, did he hear it. I could see it in his face. Uh Uh-oh. That means I got to change. See ya. Well, okay, that's what we're looking for. Either the see ya or yeah, I love it. But that's where what we're looking for. That's what God's looking for. And so hear the letter as if you're hearing it by Theophilus. So, look at these words. The former account, as we would say in the old New King James Version, the former account, O Theophilus, was of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now listen to those words. He did not say the former account, that is the book of Luke, the former account is about all that Jesus did and taught. That's not what he said. The former account was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what does that tell you? What's the second account about? It's about everything that Jesus continued to do and teach. As a matter of fact, what Luke does is, he shows that the second account is about everything that Jesus did from heaven as the king He is the enthroned king of his kingdom. And now we're seeing everything that Jesus is doing as the enthroned king of his kingdom as opposed to just everything Jesus did while he was on earth and did in beginning everything. Just beginning. That was just the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, you notice down in verse 33 that Peter makes this point being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this which you are now seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. God has made him both Lord And Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What did he just say? Jesus, the one who walked on the earth, is now exalted to heaven, and he is reigning, and he will reign until all enemies are put under his feet. He's the king now, and everything you're seeing, you're seeing the actions and work of the king. I think that's unique, because a lot of times we read Acts, we're just reading about what we're seeing on earth. Aren't we? We just got to see, well, yeah, I did that. Peter did this. Paul did that. The apostles did this. Apostles did that. That guy was healed. This guy was healed. And we're not seeing. Here's the work of King Jesus. King Jesus is now doing his additional work. Now, when a writer starts a letter, what does he usually do? He signals for you what he's going to show you in the letter. So what's he showing us in the book of Acts? He's showing us what Jesus continued to do and teach. I've already shown you what he began to do and teach when he walked the earth. Now I'm going to show you what he's continuing to do and teach. Does that not answer the question of whether this is a human movement or a God-generated movement? Absolutely. Now I know this is a God-generated movement. Now what I want you to see is I want you to see the emphasis that Luke makes on the presence of the Lord with these disciples and the work of the Lord among these disciples. Now, I want you to see how much Luke emphasizes it. If you're like me, you've read the book of Acts and you didn't see it. You read it, but you didn't see it. That's been me. Now, if you did, kudos to you. You you get the extra uh, diamond in your crown or something, you know, whatever. But uh, but but take a look at this. It's it's just really kind of cool. And, I, and I'm just going to highlight this very quickly. We're not going to turn to it. I just want you to see it. I'm going to turn to one or two of them. But, but most of them, we're just going to see it. Chapter 1, verse 24, who chose the 12th apostle? The Lord did. The Lord chose the 12th apostle. In chapter 2 and verse 33, as we just read, it's the king, it's king, it's the king Jesus who poured the spirit out so that Peter could say, Listen to these words. This came from Jesus who poured the Spirit out upon us so that you can see it and have it. In 247, as we have so often mentioned, when people came to Christ and were baptized into Christ, what happened? The Lord added them to the church. Here's the involvement of King Jesus who adds people to his kingdom. He is the one who determines that. In chapter 3 and 16, the, the man who was lame from birth, When they were all amazed, Peter said, hey, don't look at us. It was by the name of of Jesus, the faith in his name, that has made this man strong. In chapter 4 and verse 33, Luke comments that it was by great power that the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection. This power coming from King Jesus. This is how this is happening. In chapter 615 and also 755, when Stephen... Is in the category of being uh, getting ready to be stoned and all of that. The first thing at the beginning of his defense, they all look upon him and see him with the face of an angel. And when he's getting ready to be stoned, he looks up into heaven. What's he see? Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, you just look at that from the point of view of Theophilus. I just imagine this guy going, What? Jesus is so involved with His disciples that when the first one to be killed is about to be killed, He looks up into heaven and He reports to the whole council what He's seeing. Jesus, King Jesus that I've been preaching to you, is right now standing. You don't see. You always read about Him sitting on the throne, don't you? You just imagine He just stands up. Hmm. Tell you what, wouldn't that be the nicest thing you ever saw if you were getting ready to get stoned to death? Just look up there, see Jesus standing. What concern, what emphasis that he places there. In chapter 8, verse 14 through 18, Peter and John prayed that the new believers might receive the Holy Spirit. Prayed to the Lord to do what is necessary to continue the work of the kingdom. In chapter 9, Jesus makes a direct appearance to Saul of Tarsus on the road. Boy, I'll tell you what, that doesn't shock everybody. Hey, if you put yourself, I put myself in Theophilus' shoes, put yourself in Saul's shoes. Uh, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. What? <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. My, what an amazing. See, what's going to change, what's going to change the greatest persecutor into the greatest persecuted? What's going to cause him to give it up? The actual appearance of King Jesus as a resurrected Lord. Wow. Here is what Jesus is doing. In chapter 10, 44 and 45, it's with the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. In chapter 11, verse 21 through 23. Oh, this is the one I want, this is one I want to stop and read. Because I want you to see how, how plain this is. Here, here is their teaching in, the, uh, in Antioch and in that particular area and, and, and Syria uh, uh, or Crete. Uh, excuse me, not Crete, but Cyprus. And so you, you get over here in chapter uh, uh, chapter 11 and verse 20, but, those were, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And look at this, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. You see, the emphasis on the hand of the Lord was with him, and they saw the grace of God. Do we talk that way? Or do we just talk about, man, you know, sure it's cool that things are going pretty nice right now. Huh? Well, it's really great that we uh, taught the gospel to somebody and baptized them. What? Isn't it great that the hand of the Lord was with us? Isn't it great that the Lord is still working in the King Jesus? Is still doing his work? We're almost afraid to say it. And yet, Luke is making this emphasis to teach the awfulness who's moving the kingdom who's ruling now from his throne. He's not on vacation. He didn't just go up there to sit down and watch. He is actually active. In chapter 12 and verse 11, he sends his angel to rescue Peter from the hand of Herod. And then after Herod had killed James, he sends the angel again and strikes Herod and puts him to death. Here is King Jesus acting against the rulers and authorities, just as He said He would in Psalm chapter two. When they came against Him, He said in prophecy that He would come against them and He'd be angry. And boy, you don't want to be angry. You don't want to get King Jesus angry with you because you challenged His His rulership. Chapter thirteen, verse two through four. It's the Holy Spirit who's set apart. Paul and Barnabas for the work. Here's King Jesus directing the teaching of the gospel throughout the empire. In chapter 14, 27, after they get done with that first journey, they declared all that God had done and how he'd opened a door of faith. Who'd done it? God had. He declared all that God had done. You know, Paul didn't come back and go, Hey, i got to tell you guys, man, uh, we, just, we just taught... Taught like crazy and and people were just baptized. We we just did a great job. He didn't say that. He never says that. You say, Man, Paul is amazing, isn't he? No. Paul never thought he was amazing. Paul thought God was amazing. Paul thought Jesus was amazing. That's what he always says. Let him who boast. Boast in the Lord, right? That is the idea. In, uh, in, in in chapter 15, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to teach these particular things about the Gentiles. And so the apostles recognized this is where this comes from. It comes from God. Even, the, even where they would go teach, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go to this place or to that place. And so because he wanted Paul to go in a particular direction. And then when they get to Philippi, the Lord opened the heart. Of Lydia. Wow. Fantastic. He opened her heart. And so what, it is. he's just emphasizing what God is doing here. In chapter 18, 9, and 10, the Lord actually appears to Paul and says, Don't don't worry. Nobody's going to hurt you in this city. he have been hurt in every city. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm Paul right there, I go, I think I'll stay in court the rest of my life. Let me buy a house. Wow. Uh, but he does stay a year and a half. Uh, In chapter 19, God was doing extraordinary miracles there in the Ephesus area. You see what I mean? We could just go on and on with this, but you just keep seeing it. In chapter 20, he's going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. In 2311, the Lord stood by him and told him he must testify in Rome. Don't worry. You're not going to be put to death. This explains why Luke spends so much time talking about how disciples pray. Why do you pray? Because you know the Lord's presence and the Lord's work is taking place. And that he's responding to the disciples as their hearts are blended together in the same direction and for the same purposes. That is what is going on here. And so you see them praying in the upper room before the day of Pentecost. You see them praying before the new apostle is chosen. You see the whole church devoting themselves to prayer. You see the apostle saying we must devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. You see again Cornelius praying continually to God that he'll, and then God responds by opening a door of the gospel to the Gentiles. You see in chapter 12, verse 5 and verse 12, that earnest prayer is being made by the church. In fact, they're all meeting in the middle of the night praying for Peter when Peter shows up, and they're so shocked that they can't even believe. That's, about, that's kind of about us. You know, we're praying that God will deliver. And then he delivers, and we're going, well, it couldn't be him. (laughs) It must be his ghost. (laughs) We are praying that, I know, but, I mean, really. The Lord delivered, and they had prayed about it. They appointed elders in every church after prayer and fast. You get the point. Luke just keeps emphasizing this is a God-directed movement. Jesus is present. King Jesus is doing the work. And nobody is able to say, hey, look at us. Boy, we are pretty talented. Now, this is exactly the reason why we need to put more emphasis on the last words of Jesus of the Great Commission. You remember those, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. What's the last one? And behold. I, mean, I want to tell you, in the Greek, that word, some of our newer versions don't say behold, the old version. That is a powerful word. Behold. Jesus is going, and Behold. Look, you need to understand something. I've just commissioned you to go out and make disciples of all nations. And if I'm the 12 apostles at that particular point, I'm going, yeah, right. Did you forget I'm a fisherman? (laughs) Uh, Did you forget I'm a tax collector and everybody hates me? Did you forget I'm a zealot and I've been trying to overthrow the Roman Empire? Uh, Who do you think we are? And he says, behold, I am with you even to the end of the world. That only happened in the first century, and he wasn't with anybody anymore, right? How silly. What did he just tell us? I'm with you, and then the whole book of Acts is just illustrating. I'm with you. I'm doing this work. I'm directing this work. Work with me. That's the idea. This highlights why he chose those 12 men. As the the council said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, these are uneducated and common men. You know, we sometimes forget these guys, maybe except for Matthew, these guys, they can't even read or write. They've never been educated. They've been living in podunk Nazareth all their lives, in Capernaum and all this stuff, going out on a boat. Nothing wrong with that, but if you're trying to deal with the educated world, you look like a doofus. And (laughs) that's why the Lord chose them. Look at it. Think about it. That's the way God always has worked. Everybody goes, well, Abraham, man, he was great. No, he wasn't. His family were a bunch of idolaters. He just living over there in the earth of the Chaldees with his feet up and his hand on a remote. He is not anything. And God gets him out, maybe not the remote, but God gets him out of there, and here we go. Who's David? Who's Moses? Oh, yeah, Moses was great. You want me to go? I can't talk. Five times, Moses says, not me, not me, not me, not me. God finally goes, do you want me to kill you? You're going. Yeah, great leader. No, God made him a great leader. We grew up in Sunday school, and we're like, oh, Abraham, Moses, David, they were so great. No, they weren't. David was such a nobody that his daddy thought he was a nobody. I mean, come on. Samuel shows up, going to anoint the next king. Get your sons. He gets all the sons except David. (laughs) Samuel goes through all of them and he goes, it isn't any of these. You don't have any others? Well, I do, but he's the sheep guy. You know, he's out there getting oily with the sheep, picking up poop. What do you want me to do? He can't, what? what? And I mean, Jesse's like, this can't be. That's who we're choosing. Why? Because he wants us to understand that he's choosing us too. What does chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians tell us? What did he say? We read it over and we don't even think about it what he actually said there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose that which is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did he choose nobody's? Because he's the only somebody. And he wanted to show that. And then what do we do? What do we do? Well, well, you know, I can't do anything. I'm nobody. Of course you can't do anything. That's exactly why he chose you. He will do it. Get off your pew and do something. He will do it. He will work. You think Peter was anybody? Goodness, we read about Peter and we absolutely croak. What's the matter with that man? He can't quit talking. He keeps putting his foot in his mouth. He can't get it. God goes, that's the kind of guy I like. It just shows how great I am and not him. And that's what God does. And we make excuses. Instead of seeing God and seeing King Jesus working in our lives. He doesn't want us to boast. If we were so great, we'd be going around and going, hey, look at me, I've always been great. No, you haven't. Nobody is. God makes these same promises to us. Look at this text. Joshua chapter 1, again, perfect text in which we read it and we read it as if it's talking about somebody else and not talking about us and he's talking about us joshua chapter one and you see in beginning in verse three god speaks to joshua he says every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon i have given to you just as i promised to moses From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now watch this in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous and be careful to do according to all the law that that Moses my servant commanded you. And guess where those words are quoted? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, telling us, the exact same thing. Who are we going out to conquer? The giants of the unbelieving world. The giants of the land. The giants of, of serving whatever you want to serve in this life. And he sent us out and he goes, Look, you can't be defeated because I'm with you. Every place the sole of your feet treads. I am going to be with you. Nobody can conquer you. Only do this. What? Be strong and courageous. That's the one thing we don't do. It's just little not me. I don't think I can do it. It isn't just little O U. you. It is King Jesus doing his work. And he's asking us, To be strong and courageous. And do the work. And he will multiply it. That's what he keeps teaching the apostles. Um, How much bread do you have? We just got a kid's lunch here. Good. Have have this 10,000 people here sit down. I'm going to show you something. It doesn't have anything to do with your power and your might. I'm going to show you something. And he just does it over and over and over and over again. And what do the apostles do? Uh Uh-oh, he's mad at us that we didn't bring bread. (laughs) And we do the same thing. We do the same thing over and over again. One final text. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26. This is the context in which he talks about when the Roman Empire is going to try to destroy Christians. This is the prophecy of it. And here is God saying what's going to happen. After they attack and try to kill the Christians and destroy God's kingdom, here's what's going to happen. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion, that's the dominion of the Roman Empire and all that, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey Him. Who are we? God has given us all the kingdoms of the world. They're given to us. And the Most High is reigning through us. There's no kingdom con- us. Look. So, bottom line is, you go going talking to somebody. You're going. We're going out as a local church, and we're just going to we're going to do simple thing like this. We're just going to start a Bible class where a, a bunch of us get together in our home. We're just going to start a little Bible class, and we're just going to tell people that we're having a Bible class. We're just having a little Bible study. We get together and read the Bible. And uh, so, would you like to come? And guess what? God will multiply that. He always does. He'll multiply that. But you've got to do it. You've got to have that little grain of mustard seed faith. Right? And it moves a mountain. Why? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because God is with you. Because He's delivered us to the kingdoms of the world. That's the idea. Chapter 17, verse 14, book of Revelation. They will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for He is Lord of lords and King of kings and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. Who wins? We do.